You're listening to And what's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club for Thursday, January the 20th, 2022. It is episode 88. It's the luckiest. Auspicious. Until we get to 888. <laughs> so we're definitely gonna do that. Definitely. Joining me, as always, talk about all the good pop because it's through our days. We have self-proclaimed professional Asian American, just you. Hello. I'm so tired already. It's <laughs> January 20th. It hasn't even been a month. No, and I'm already tired. <laughs> also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, hey. Han. Are you tired? You are, yeah. what is week two? She's in TCA. Of, TCA? of course she's tired. Yeah, we are in week, it's actually technically week three, but um, it's only the, was it, today was the sixth day. So uh, PBS week, though. I always enjoy PBS, but it is quite a lot to cover. And um <laughs> But it's still enjoyable because they bring you the good people. Anything interesting coming down the pipe from PBS? <sighs> well, 25th season of Arthur, um, final season also, uh, is coming. And then uh, for those diehard Sanditon people, we're getting a second season. <laughs> um, Sanditon is Jane Austen's unfinished novel that they finished. <laughs> And and then they decide to give it a second season. Sus, Wait, sus. so they finished her novel for her and then they adapted it into a TV series? A TV series. And here's the funny thing is it was actually, it was a co-pro with, um, with BBC or one of those English companies and they actually canceled it. However, the fandom was so vocal that PBS found money and some <laughs> other whatever. And they worked it out. And so they created a second season. What it will be, who knows? Because we are way off book at this point. It's like beyond uh, Game of Thrones. I so. <laughs> feel like, like it sounds like this is like a performance piece of Death of an Author. Uh, well, it's also like, you know, Jane Austen stories are pretty wrapped up nicely. It's just like you, you just just going to draw it out for multiple seasons. Well, but I guess she didn't finish it. So right, right. She never finished it, and um, you know, all you do is just add more British blokes, and so that's exactly what they did. <laughs> was the actually the male star left after the first season, Theo James, which who you might know from uh, Mr. Pamuk. Yes, exactly. If you are a masterpiece uh, aficionado, <laughs> he is from Downton Abbey, but also from the Divergent series. Um. But uh, so yeah, he, he Mr. Pamuk to me. <laughs> yes, you you are correct, Jess. Actually, in your first reference, um, but he uh, he left. But it was like very funny because PBS also sent an email with more photos. And it's like here's three new British dudes that you can lust over, you know, fans. So there's going to be plenty of people. But now that they are so off book, um, I mean, first season we already got a hand job and sex on the floor. Ooh. Wait, what, in, wait, in a Jane Austen? I don't know much about Jane Austen books personally. Pretty sure pretty they sure don't fuck not. in Jane Austen books. <laughs> yeah, they 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 just do very hot dancing, you know? It's all yes. subtext. I I fucking maybe <laughs> that type of thing. But uh anyway, I I mean there's also from PBS, it's like I, I adore so many of these like really cool documentaries. By the way, Try Harder is coming. Finally, people will get to watch it. Um, and then there's also a history of uh, blue jeans, which I think is really mm. cool. 
Um, and a bunch of other stuff that, oh, 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 actually something that we probably need to watch is The Great American Recipe, which is basically The Great British Bake Off, but in America and savory foods. And that also means that it's multicultural and American is very broadly defined because, of course, all immigrants make America. Um, I, I, I recall at least three Asians in there. Well, I'm excited. You're excited about PBS. I don't think I've watched PBS in a good while. I think the last thing I watched was the Asian American series, but that was out of obligation. I'm going to make you people. watch the Great American Recipe because that's in June. And so that'll be a good summer show. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, on this most auspicious episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. We're talking all about Encanto, the latest film from Disney Animation Studios, playing now on Disney+. And we have lots of thoughts, especially Jess. Jess <laughs> pretty much forced us to watch this film for this week. And, you know... I love this movie. <laughs> Just disclaimer, I love this movie. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? Um, speaking on PBS, so a few months ago, in the I started donating to PBS because I don't have cable, but um, or like you know, it's PBS. They never program what you want when you want. It's so I just finally bit the bullet and like I paid five dollars to like support my local PBS channel so I can get the Roku app and watch whatever I want for free. And I've been binging mm-hmm. my favorite show. Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, basically he talks to famous people from different walks of life, artists, politicians, um, you know, fairly well-known names, very diverse backgrounds. And he basically does a genealogy report, which is like, you know, my little nerd shit, like so into it, so into it. And some people have really, really fascinating histories. One particular episode, from this recent season was Rebecca Hall, you mm-hmm. know, who just directed Passing. One. And that was fascinating. Um, basically, I won't spoil the whole thing, but basically confirm she is of African-American descent. Uh, and it's just it's very emotional. People cry. It's very uh, it's it's very interesting. And I always wish I could do this for my family mm. or like hire someone. It's not the lack of knowledge. It's the translation, like the bureaucratic issues of like going to China and finding records. If those records still exist, because I'm pretty sure like, you know, I think a lot of Asian families, there's like a oral history of like, we're from here. Like, this is the family village. This is the family <laughs> home. But then, you know. As we've learned in recent years dealing with our parents, <laughs> shit gets lost in communication. The uh, the uh, telephone charades, you know, of passing information, not right. So did what they say, is it actually true? Who knows? Maybe it would be nice to get some confirmation, but really fascinating. There's a whole episode on David Chang, mm-hmm. you know, the chef, Momofuku chef. Wasn't this the and, show that Fred Armisen found out he's Korean and not Japanese? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very diverse. Um different people some people i'm just like oh i don't care like the thing is you don't know what the stories are until you watch it so some people have like cooler stories than other to Mm -hmm. be honest he does do this thing where if he runs the dna now that there's dna technology he runs the dna against any other folks Mm -hmm. so of of that he's interviewed or profiled in the past seasons so some people have really interesting connections so a little more like not surprising, but still fun. It's like Bernie Sanders and Larry David are related, like distant cousins. <laughs> and they were both very pleased with it. Yeah. And then more surprising, Lee Daniels was recently on the, an episode and his distant cousin is Mia Farrow. Yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> right? I love that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also, you know, when you think, you know, we all know the dirty, terrible history of racist history of America, you know, most black Americans or African Americans, at least large percent, you know, white. And mm-hmm. they got some of them are more white than they are black, mm-hmm. you know, like when the with, in terms of DNA, um, DNA results, and it's just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's always very interesting. Really, uh, he always makes it fun with the history lesson about the context of what their ancestors must have been going through. You know what was happening in the event, and yeah, I just I was always so jealous. I'm like, man, I want to be famous just so Harry Louis Gates Jr. will do one of these on me. Mm-hmm. He he goes by Skip Gate, by the way. That is <laughs> adorable. Is it because he's the third? I don't. Maybe. Anyway, he Skip. Yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> Oh, well, maybe I'll check out this series once. Maybe I, too, will support our... I would say our because your local PBS is also my local PBS. Yes. Our station, so I can check out this show. Son, what's popping with you? (laughs) So the opposite of Finding Your Roots, which is very, you know, illuminating and and helpful and goes back into history and it's very smart. Um, I was watching screeners of the new season, upcoming season of Love is Blind. Which, if you have forgotten or never watched it, uh, Love is Blind is the Netflix dating series where you're in separate pods and you never see each other, but you talk to each other through the wall, which is glowing, this glowing iridescent wall. And you just talk to these people. And so it's a bunch of sort of like blind dates, but you like talk to these people over and over again. And the idea is that whoever you actually create sort of a bond with you know if it gets really if you get really deep then you can actually get uh you can actually get engaged if you get engaged then you go to the next step of the thing which is you get to meet in person and then go on a honeymoon (laughs) yeah like a vacation and and then you start planning the wedding yeah so you get to see whether or not you have the physical because apparently through the pods you have the emotional bond so let's save the physical work um and then so you get that sort of like wonderful paradise thing and then you have to go home to see if the family's on board and then start planning the wedding then you go to the wedding and then you decide whether or not you're actually going to say i do (laughs) So there are definitely some runaway bride situations from the first season. There are a lot of, oh, my God, you you are arguing way too much. You need to stop this right now. And then there's a, there's a lot of denial. But two of the couples from the first season are still married. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So two, uh, like one of them is, is the is the dream couple. Yes. Because. Uh, Lauren and I forgot his I forgot name. his name. Yeah. yeah, but Lauren's super cute. Right, right, right. So it's this black woman, it's a white guy, and he treats her like a queen. It's amazing. And people are like, see, see, that's how you do it. You know, and uh he does have a an awkward moment when he raps in front of them, her mom, but uh it's fine. They they overlook that. Um and yeah, so it, it that's a very good fairy tale. It's great. But there was also the the woman who was uh, completely in love with someone else, but said yes to the one guy. That one guy. Jessica, she's 34. She's really bad. And she actually like gave her dog wine. And um, that just shows you what kind of a mess she is. Um, she is the most notorious person. So anyway, this season, I'm not going to spoil too much, but we got some Asians finally. 
Ooh. Um, one of That's them, the only thing we care about in the show. Yeah. One of them's named Natalie. I can't quite tell what kind of Asian she is. Perhaps Korean. And then the other two, which I think is fascinating. One guy's named Shake. And um, and the other one is Deep D, and they're both South Asian, and they've never dated South Asian before. They've only dated white blondes, and so it's fascinating to hear them talk about that. And um, and Shake is he starts off really kind of an awful guy who, despite the the experiment of the uh, of being in the pods, he keeps asking them their weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh god oh god he's so great to hate but you know you get to know him better and then he you know you find out more about him but anyway i i've watched the first five episodes because that's all netflix gave me i talked to all of my friends who watched him and now we're just like fuck what do we do now because the show hasn't even premiered so we're gonna have to wait even longer to find out like how yeah. it is when they go to their hometowns and then also no when, spoilers huh yeah. no spoilers i can't i i can't give you spoilers that's the thing so and so we don't know who is says i do or not i do have to say there was a a image of deep d from the finale where she's wearing her indian attire she looks fantastic whether she says i do or not we don't know so uh anyway that is my uh my my weekend obsession when i should have been watching pbs screeners um, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> um, it's a, it, I don't know. It's it, for me. It's like the perfect way to COVID date. Um, yeah, yeah, this is the type of good pop that I have zero interest <laughs> in watching myself. But I'm you glad it does listen, it for you. Yeah, you can just listen to me talk about. I it. I live so. vicariously through you. I, I, yeah. I feel like I'm experiencing your emotions while having to actually watch. Oh yeah. This show. So <laughs> once it actually airs and I find out everything, we'll we'll do another update. Sounds anyway, good. so good. tell us if the Asians find true love and happiness. <laughs> yes. So Marvin, what's popping with you? All right. So I think we all knew this was coming um, this past week. Aww. One of my favorite shows, The Expanse, um, came to an end on Amazon. The Expanse is the sci-fi epic uh, that's going on for the last six, seven years. Uh, season six was a shorter season, six episodes. But man, so I feel like in this day and age, where American TV has become more serialized. When we come to the end of a long-running beloved series, I feel like people are always on a little edge because, you know, mm-hmm. we've been hurt before, right? For every good ending that nails it, you have, like, A Game of Thrones or How I Met Your Mother. So, you know, going into um, this final episode, I was... I, I wouldn't say I was worried um, because the showrunner and the writers have been doing an amazing job with this adaptation um, with the blessing of the original writer team that wrote the novels that the series is based on. But there was a lot of story to get through, so I wasn't sure if they were going to fit it on one episode. But man, they really nailed it. Um, They stuck the landing. Uh, The last episode is 60 minutes long, which is a good 10 minutes longer than the other episodes of the season. And it was just balls-to-the-wall action. Um, I want to say probably like 45 minutes was just one giant space battle, including an amazing spaceship fight and the most intense drop sequence you've ever seen. Basically like a World War II landing scene on Omaha Beach, except in space where you're in the drop pod. And man, it was just, I think they did a really great job mixing both the space action that you love from The Expanse with the amazing character work. And much like another beloved fantasy series, um, the episode did end with a king-making scene, except this one made sense. And no one is upset at the result. The person who deserved to win won. <laughs> Where they actually put someone on a throne? Um, so so you're saying that beyond just the action, the actual emotional and uh, storytelling aspect worked? 
Yeah, and I think The Expanse, one of its strengths has always been its cast. It has a very diverse cast, not only with strong female characters, but strong characters of color as well. It portrays a future that, you know, even though there's still classism and like space tribalism, it's filled with people that look like you and me and looks more like the future that we like to see. I mean, in the main cast, like it's majority women of color. Um, you have a Iranian woman playing the lead of Earth. You have a black woman playing the lead engineer. You have a Samoan woman playing a space marine, a First Nations woman playing a space pirate queen, um, and a Chinese Canadian woman playing an inmate on a redemption arc. And Stephen Strait, hottie. And Stephen Strait, yes. The hottie from Sky High. Yeah, and Stephen Strait. Um, and even like the main bad guy is probably like the hottest evil gaslighting <laughs> demagogue you've ever seen on TV. If bad, why so attractive? <laughs> <laughs> to make you uh, conflicted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's look, I've always been open to watching it. I watched the first half of the first season and uh, it was just one of those things that I didn't have to cover it at the time. Uh, so once you fall behind in this day and age with too much TV, it's very hard to, it's very hard to catch up. But uh, the nice thing is, and I noticed this with TV, uh, with books to book series also is once it's ended, I kind of feel better about like picking it up (laughs) because then I don't feel like it's going to stretch for like ever. Um, also when you say it stuck the landing, that makes me more willing to watch it. And get into yeah, it. Yeah, you're like not going to be disappointed <laughs> at the end. You're like, man, I wasted my time. Yeah, so I guess that's all to say, much like Han just mentioned, if you've been on the fence about The Expanse, now's the time to jump into it because the series is over. Maybe um, there is a chance that the series might come back. They've dropped a lot of hints during this final season because um, this season actually adapted book six of the series, which is a nine book series. So there's still three books left um what works out is the final three books the final trilogy can kind of be its own thing if you need it to be because it takes place 30 years after the end of book six and the showrunner naren shankar has been dropping hints that they might already be working on something so people are speculating it might be a trilogy of movies perhaps um it's six seasons and three movies you know but yeah i'm really excited um i'm happy about the way the show ended i'm sad that it's over but i am cautiously optimistic that we'll see more uh, from this world in the future because the final three books get real like sci-fi space fantasy um, let's just say um there's a space empire involved but yeah um the expanse still good you guys check it out um and with that that'll also do it for this edition of what's poppin when we come back we're talking all about bruno and all about the new disney film in console stick around Hey, Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. 
past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about Encanto, the 60th animated film from Walt Disney Animated Studios. The film is directed by Jared Bush and Byron Howard, co-directed by writer Therese Castro-Smith, with original songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring a, I guess, murderous row of (laughs) mostly Colombian voice actors, including Stephanie Beatrice, John Leguizamo, um, Diane Guerrero, and Boomer Valderrama, um, among others. It follows the magical family, a family of magically superpowered people who receive their powers from a miracle that helps them serve their community in rural Colombia, except for Mirabelle, played by Stephanie Beatrice, who does not receive her gift. Uh, when she learns that the family is starting to lose their magic, she sets out to find out why and to save her family's magic. All right, Jess, you're on record as the biggest fan of this film. So let's start with you. What did you think of Encanto? I was really surprised at this. I think both in content and structure, it's a little different from most Disney movies that we're used to. I was actually very surprised that there was no you know, quote, villain, unquote, There's or no big bad. And that it was such a contained story. Like, basically, the entire story takes place in the house. And it wasn't until maybe, like, the Casita, right? Which is its mm-hmm. own lovely character. Uh, very, you know, we we love a magical house. <laughs> but I think I was, it was, like, two-thirds through the movie when I realized when we were still in the Casita, I was like, oh, we're not leaving. <laughs> It definitely helps that the casita has worlds within itself. Yes. Yes. But, you know, most Disney movies are aimed at children and it's usually a form of a coming of age story. So they have to inherently leave their home to go on a journey and, you know, kind of, you know, there's the structure of it. Like you collect friends along the way and you fight a big bad <laughs> or you um, it, it's kind of like a road show, like a Finding Nemo, where it's like obstacle to obstacle to obstacle. So this was really interesting. And again, we're we're really introduced to this set of characters from the beginning in this one location. And it's kind of all set through. And it's much more, I found it much more complex than regular stories. So I was really, I found it really unexpected. And the more I sat there and thought about it, I was like, wow, they really just made a Disney movie about intergenerational trauma. Like so, um, all <laughs> Disney movies about trauma because... That's like everyone has a dead parent. So it's interesting to see this shift, right? Like the dead parent used to not be addressed. Like, oh, I have a dead parent. That's totally, I'm totally fine. Like, whatever. That didn't affect me at all. And then we start getting content about like, oh, I have a dead parent. And gr- what does grief do to you as a child? And then like slowly it's like, now we're at this point where like we're doing these pretty nuanced stories. And maybe, I don't know, I don't have kids. I don't have like young kids in my life. I don't know if they're kind of clocking that. But I do think this is the result of a time period where millennials are finally old and we're directing movies and making a lot of movies. And it's like, okay, <laughs> what do millennials want to talk about? We want to talk about trauma. And of course, the diverse, you know, the, 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 un, the it's, it's focusing on a family that, a culture that's not 
always presented in this kind of mainstream light, and I'm always pro that. And on top of the all, you know, I think someone on the internet said Lin Manuel Miranda really put his whole Linusi in it. <laughs> he really did. Not a bad track on this record. No skips. Fucking fantastic. And we could talk about the music more later. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the music as well. It felt like the most um, creative he's been in a while. He I has feel a like... style. That's mm-hmm. fine. He has a signature style. We should not be like saying he just does the same. No, he does not do the same thing over and over again. He just has a signature style. And that signature style is very theatrical. I think bitches <laughs> who like don't watch a lot of theater movies. You know, he's not doing the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Everyone calm down. <laughs> Uh, I remember um, I came in this film already prepped by um, Jess's um, <laughs> commentary that it's about trauma and I think that affected the way I, I watched this well. But I thought it was really it's it's a different kind of Disney movie, right? It's not about there's no there no princes, no princesses, no royalty. I mean, every family is a royal family yeah. in itself, but there's no overarching quest or adventure per se. The film is a story about about a family's relationship to themselves and their history. Family and community in a way that I think it's interesting that ma- the way magic is presented in this movie, it's it's not it's a gift, right? What they call it the gift, the gift, the miracle, but like the purpose of the miracle is to help other people. It's never about your own power what you can do with it, it's how you can serve others and I think that just kind of was also an interesting angle on it. Yeah, and I think more about family, more about community, right? And like how like, think about the early ones. Ariel's like, fuck you. I saw a hot guy. I'm out. <laughs> um, right? And uh, a, a lot of these, I mean, Belle, the entire introduction to Belle is about how, like, she don't fuck with them and they don't fuck with her. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, I don't remember the idea of, like, family expectations has played such a big role, right? And, like, where the main character wants to fulfill those expectations and not go against it, right? Like, cause like you mentioned, a lot of the earlier Disney princesses are all about like, no, screw you, I'm my own person, which is a very, like, when we talk about the culture clash for those of us from immigrant communities between cultures, it's between those two things. It's between wanting to fulfill our parents' expectations of us and wanting to be our own person, right? And usually the former wins, whereas a lot of Disney or a lot of American media champions the 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 latter yeah i agree i think the thing that i immediately sort of loved about it was it felt to me very much just like a family where every character felt right and real it's sort of that sprawling thing where like i mean on one side of my family which is i felt was very much like this it's like oh my mom had you know uh, two brothers and three sisters and so I grew up with all of my cousins and um, and all of my aunts and uncles there and so it's kind of like whenever I'd point someone out I'd be like yeah that's an aunt too yeah that's my other cousin you know whatever and so whenever we get all together it's huge and we all kind of be like well that's the aunt I don't get along with no that's the aunt by marriage you know and so it's kind of like all those qualifiers and kind of like how they slot in your family whether you get along with them or not or how well um, and yeah. what their role is. That's the one who always brings this. Um, this one's always dating. And that's what I really kind of loved was nobody I felt was kind of a slouch here. Everyone felt fully realized. And the dynamics between 
Maribel and each of those characters felt right. Like how yeah. the dad having married in was just like, oh, don't worry. I understand what it's like to not have a gift, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I was like, oh, dad, you think you're helping, but you know. yeah, great, great, uh, great showcase of like non-toxic marriages, right? Which mm-hmm. is, I think specifically in the context of like a Latin family is like really nice to see. The husbands are super supportive mm-hmm. and you realize they all got the mother's last name because she's Mirabel Madrigal. Mm hmm. Oh, it's a family full of wife guys. Oh, for sure. oh yeah, yeah. 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 And like Abuelita is the HBIC, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a really, really, really great cousin movie, mm-hmm. right? Like the cousin bond, and like the and as someone with a sister as well, it's like you know, and who grew up with like cousins that were like sisters, it very much is like, oh, you have like a certain like. There's one you don't maybe you maybe <laughs> butt heads with a little bit more because. I'm also the youngest sister, so I definitely got some Mirabelle energy. Um, you know, the one who's just kind of like seen as the the kind of the fuck up <laughs> or the the one who fucks up the most. Though my like level of fuck up is much less than I would say a general level of fuck up. But still, it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the perfect one. And then there's the strong one. There's like your annoying like boy cousin who like just wants to fucks around and like says sh- shit just to like scare you. Uh, and then there's all the like, there's all the like family cheese made too at the mm-hmm. table. Yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah, and yeah. And, and the passive aggressive love too. <laughs> there's the love, love, and then there's passive aggressive love, and they are not incompatible. You know. Yes. Yeah, and also the love that you can't really see because it's covered in anxiety. And mm-hmm. what, what, like going back to the music, I love that most of the songs are about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> And 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 most of them are told through the women. Mm-hmm. Yep, right, mm-hmm. which is great because again, we also know that you know women daughters do the heavy lifting in the family. Let's uh, pun intended mm-hmm. for Louisa, and everyone is like kind of dealing with their own version of anxiety or f- family anxiety, or like the trauma <laughs> has affected them and manifest in different ways. So I am curious, who who are you? Like, if we had to take like a BuzzFeed quiz, like. Which trauma of the Encanto family, magical family, do you have? Which, what would you have? <laughs> it's like therapy sharing. It's like group therapy. <laughs> okay, there are two characters. One was Dolores. She is the cousin. And she's the one who has super hearing. And so she always hears things that she shouldn't. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I identify with that. Like, I, I always, like, would walk in or hear something or, you know, they think you're not paying attention. But I'm just like, why did I just hear that? So that... <laughs> Um, and then also Bruno, who I identified oh, with. No. Oh, no. For many reasons. One is he, he was treated like shit because he was a Cassandra, you know, yes. um, saying things. And the thing is, that kind of worked for me because it's not that I'm like super smart or could tell the future. But like there's sometimes things where I was just like, you know, where my mom would say something like, well, if if your dad and I ever talk about getting divorced, tell us not to, because, you know, we should stay together for the kids. And even early on, I knew I shouldn't say my thoughts because, (laughs) because I did say a lot of my thoughts when I was really young. And then I just worried my parents. So, uh, cause I was talking about death pretty early, 
when I was a kid. And so they were just, they're like, what the fuck? You're five. Anyway. So, um, so when my mom told me about the whole divorce thing, I was just like, okay, I shut up. But I just was thinking, well, if you don't love each other and you don't like each other, then why bother? <laughs> so, but I knew that's not what she wanted me to say. No, and so, that's not. <laughs> so there, just yeah. Smiling, you're like, okay. Yeah, so sure. there's just there's just a lot of Bruno where I was just like, yeah, he just doesn't get like so a lot of times I I I just bite my tongue, but the other thing I I very much identify with Bruno is when he's off by himself and just had to amuse himself and he had all these personalities and then he also befriended the rats and <laughs> the telenovelas. <laughs> right. And so I was like, wait, I'm all by myself and I amuse myself and I have all these squirrels and possums visiting me. <laughs> so like I so I was just like, yeah, I like Bruno a lot. He's fun. I also enjoyed Bruno. His character, I didn't know who played who when I was watching the film, but I knew I knew his voice. Mm-hmm. And it was until later when we found out he was John Leguizamo, who is just had a hell of a career. Still best known to me as Luigi Mario from the Mario Brothers movie, which what? I know is... The wrong deep cut, but <laughs> I also know cut. him from the Mario live-action Mario and Moulin Rouge, but <laughs> live-action Mario. Uh... <laughs> Okay, uh, Jess, who did you identify with? Again, Def some Mirabelle energy, yeah. youngest, kind of the one who like followed her own path. And I'm not that filial as Mirabelle, though. Like, mm-hmm. I would have blown out that candle after yeah. that first picture. Like, fuck y'all, no miracle for you, baby. Um, and definitely a little bit of uh, Tia Peppa, whose like emotions are invalidated. Because, you know, every time she gets like a little turmoil, they're like, just be happy. Make it sunny. She's like, I'm like, oh, I felt that. I felt that. Yeah, that's unfair. Oh, you're sad? You should just not be. (laughs) That's unfair. Yes, exactly. (laughs) How about you? And also just very anxious, like usually a lot very anxious. How about you, Marvin? (laughs) I think I'm part Mirabelle because I feel like Mirabelle is also the stand-in for any children of specifically children of immigrants who like have to like live up to expectations but can't when feels really really guilty about it mm-hmm. um and part i guess luisa because oh. as an elder sibling um, i am asked to shoulder a lot of stuff a lot mm-hmm. of responsibility. Oh. see there's a little bit of trouble for everyone it's enough great. to go around and this leads us to i guess one of the hottest talking points for this film which is <laughs> What is our read on Abuela? I want to hear from Jess first because I think she was she had the hot take that I saw on Twitter that I was okay. laughing my okay, ass off. The, the, the source of all guys. of this anxiety is Abuela, right? Yeah. Abuela's really not that bad. I agree. That's like, oh, my, go on, go on. Sorry. I don't know if that's just me speaking from a place of like extreme, like, oh, like, oh, Jess, you, you need help or like, or like what's wrong with your family? But like, Abuela is like, yeah, she's not, she's a little stern, but she's like not explicitly mean or like terrible. Like, I, I think the people who are like, she's a terror, like, yes, could she have done better? Yes, we all could have done better, honestly. Like, we're human, right? Everyone can do better. But it's like, homie, like, had to flee her home. She got watched her, the love of her life, and the father of her three triplets macheted in front of her. She had to raise three kids and raise a community. She she carries the, like, she really carries the community, and she just, you know, she's not the worst. I know, I know real-life grandmas who are way fucking worse, and who just explicitly, because she never explicitly says to Mirabelle, like, 
you know, like you suck. How dare you? You're not my granddaughter. Anything like that, you know, like, and she like, she's just like, you know, maybe you can, she's pretty nice about it. She's like, maybe you can like stay out of the way a little bit so we can set up, you know, it's pretty busy right now. <laughs> and versus like, I, or maybe this is just, yeah, maybe this is just my fucked up head. Cause I was like, yeah, like if you're not helping, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I, so I saw that conversation you had on Twitter and then I was like, oh, okay. So whenever I watch this movie, I'm going to keep that in mind. And I was just like, uh, yeah, not only is she not that bad in general, but also I was just like, every one of my elder family members is worse than Abuela. Yeah. All put together, there would be like 20 Abuelas in my family who didn't want you to say that there are cracks in the family, that they would be in denial, even if they knew that you were right. And they uh, care about their the appearances of uh, how you're, you know, you display yourself outside of the family and yeah. they don't want to hear truth. Like all this stuff. I was just like, yeah, well, it's just fine. like par for the course. It's it's normal <laughs> versus like, you know, like I know some grandparents, like some of my friends, grandparents, grandmas are like explicitly much meaner. They will just be like, you know, like accusing of like, like, like insinuating or explicitly just stating like, oh, you're probably like not actually related to me because like your mom had an affair, which is like not true. Like, you know, just stirring shit up or being like, oh, like why are you so useless or like like explicitly saying like why are you so useless or like oh you're so fat and disgusting like why would any, no one will want you like oh both yeah. pretty chill all oh, things yeah. considered oh yeah yeah i mean again going in with jess's opinion on boila already on my mind watching it i felt like i kind of expected her to be more passive aggressive and more like just outwardly horrible she, I mean granted she is disappointed in the fact that Mirabel has no powers you can see that she is trying her best not to make her feel bad about it but at the same time not really showering her with the affection and attention she had when she was younger and you know all of that is wrapped up in you know her own issues of being this matriarch and having to be strong for the family but yeah I mean I'm with you both that like in the grand scheme of like passive aggressive relatives, it's pretty mild in relation. <laughs> Look, Mirabelle, I also don't have any photos up in my grandma's house. Okay, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. You, the you gotta self-worth comes from within mm -hmm. girl and you're gonna learn that like when you're 30 and paid a lot of money for therapy. <laughs> that being said, I did feel like and i think this is a running theme in these types of stories for me personally i wanted more a boy like catharsis at the end mm -hmm. i feel like she was let off the hook a little too easily yeah i mean it, there are a lot of things to wrap up i guess and um watching the flashback of the trauma was pretty bad i thought yeah um, so maybe they think that that was enough um and uh, yeah i i don't know if i needed more she said i'm sorry like yeah. what else she supposed to, like mirabelle just wanted to be acknowledged and you know i think abuela was finally just honest with her about what really happened which is which is it's not the honesty it's the being vulnerable and like sharing that with mirabelle i think that's really <laughs> someone was on like we know this is a disney there's two miracles the magic and grandma apologize yeah and admitted <laughs> exactly. she was wrong I mean, like, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty big step for anyone like <laughs> that is healing, you know, that's healing. So 
you and they insinuate that it's different there's gonna be different going on right and yeah like, i mean it did it did lead to the two catapult song which is probably <laughs> oh my god i can't that was so good it was so good i cried my fucking eyes out that was that's a good so song. beautiful that's actually a really good song because you told me about it and i still wasn't prepared so yeah and i don't even speak spanish and i was like i feel it though i feel i feel the emotion and then i looked up the lyrics and i was like fuck you lin-manuel miranda how dare you i i <laughs> wish they had done dual subtitles though like lyrics and subtitles um because i was just like did they not have subtitles no no because i watched it with the subs on and they subbed the lyrics in english yeah yeah no i wanted the lyrics in spanish oh. so i actually had to google the lyrics in spanish so i could follow along um because I was like, I didn't want the translation, or at least the translation was fine, but I also wanted the actual words. Because so yeah. I could sing along. <laughs> I've, um, I've heard on, uh, I guess this is now a, a pretty good time to transition to music and just like the bilingualness of it all. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard some pretty, again, don't speak Spanish, but I've heard, um, you know, some of the rhyme patterns in Spanish in some of these songs are like really awesome. Mm-hmm. The Isabella song, What Can I Do? Uh, it's like that there's more puns in Spanish and like some of the, you know, translation is not a one for one, right? You have to capture mm-hmm. the essence. So sometimes they have to change the words a little bit. And apparently some of it is like harsher in Spanish. So maybe that affects how you see it too. Like I think in the song, we don't talk about Bruno instead of like, instead of the line in English, the line is like Abuela said, get the umbrella mm-hmm. uh, in Spanish. Something like, Oh, Abuela did not like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that just because, like, obviously, when I'm watching, let's say, Squid Game, I know no Korean except for, like, menu Korean, right? So I'm not going to get a lot of those nuances. But I do know enough Spanish that I like to see the language there in front of me to see about that. And I, uh, when you think about how clever Lin-Manuel is when it comes to American, like, English lyrics, just mm-hmm. translate that to, like... Uh, you know spanish and so i was just like i bet you there's things that i'm not gonna get but i i still want to see how pretty it is in the original language um and i am also a very visual learner so that's why i wanted to read the lyrics too um we don't talk about bruno's actually is on is another yes yes that you're number one on spotify (laughs) baby first time it's been a disney soundtrack song i think has been number one since like 1995 or something it's also just a great name. I love the name. It's Bruno. so good. It's so good. And so theatrical. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm a musical theater nerd. And that is just like textbook. Like, this is an act one finale with the different parts, the chorus singing, all the like ebbs and flows into different styles of music, telling a really great story. Um, and like, that's the thing. Like, you can't take this out of context and make it make sense. Right. Like, you're not going to get a pop song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. This this is specifically <laughs> written to move this story mm-hmm. along and tell everyone's perspective, show like character, dynamic, history, exposition. It's fantastic. And it's an earworm. Yeah. I I actually heard about this song before I saw this. Sh- I, like someone was like captioning stuff and doing memes about like, we don't talk. I know we don't talk about Bruno, but and I was like, what the fuck? And then people were like, it's an Encanto uh, <laughs> reference. So <laughs> finally, now I know what's, what it's about. And I love it. Speaking of reactions to Encanto, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about just how this film has been 
received in the general public. Specifically, I think the three of us being children of immigrants, even though we're not Colombian, we, we there are lots of touch points and themes of this film that we personally connect to, specifically the ones about familial expectations, filial piety, and um, severe grandparents. <laughs> um, but I've been reading some interesting takes from people who just don't understand this. Like, I'm starting to realize that this is not a universal experience. Which is odd for me. Yeah, because I think it was you and then also Jess pointed out something about someone explaining this to their white boyfriend. And I was like, how is this not clear <laughs> to you? Yeah, someone on TikTok had to, like, explain to a white boyfriend that, like, you know, what this was all about. Was like, wow, gee, gee, dude, how is it like to live without a family riddled with trauma? Good for you, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, it, there's just a whole way, I guess, of speaking that some people don't get, especially when it comes to those dynamics where you're you, you're talking around things and you there are assumptions made <laughs> instead of just talking straight out, you know, uh, which is odd. Yeah. Just odd. I mean, I, I feel like it's just some people can't watch something not about themselves. <laughs> yeah, like. I feel like I wonder if it's just a backlash to seeing yourself represented for so long and then seeing something that sure starring people that don't might not look like you and not knowing how to react to it. I mean, it's it's very possible. I mean, at least he watched it. <laughs> That's all I yeah. can say. Uh, and he <laughs> liked it, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I've had better takes from my friends' parents. So some of my friends are Latin A and they mm-hmm. made their parents watch it and all their parents were like, Grandma was right. They shouldn't have talked to grandma like that. We're all yeah. just like mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Yeah. But also not unexpected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can really tell where generation where the generational split is. Yeah. Yeah. I also very yeah. much um I think the other big talking point that we've all seen this on the internet is the kid who finally saw himself in I think it's Antonio the little cousin who uh whose gift day was um because he you know he has an afro and uh and I was just like this kid is so adorable and it also just reminds me because um my nephew he's uh he's Blasian so um so for films like this that show people of varying shades of brown um, or in darker shades and who have different hair textures. Um, it's also why I was very excited when um, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, like Miles Morales looks like him. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating that it took so long to get something like this um, that, I don't know, it was just like even Mirabelle having... The short curly hair with glasses was super exciting for me. Like glasses on a character <laughs> was just glasses like, representation. Right? right. So I I don't know. I think they just did such a great job in that way uh, of like actually making everyone kind of be their own person and not just some sort of like yeah. caricature. And the variation of like skin tone and hair color mm-hmm. and hair texture within the same family, which is like mm-hmm. very real in. Yeah. Because like families. one of Abuela's kids was like a redhead, and so I was yes, just, Peppa was like like yeah lighter. She had red hair, and that um, always happens, you know. So like sometimes we were like, "That's your brother," or whatever it is that that's happening. So um, also, 
I don't know about you, Jess, because you're very, very pale. But it's like for me, I have to buy different foundations for different times of the year because I get so tan that like my paler foundation won't work. <laughs> so no, <yeah>. I'm just <laughs> pale and I burn. I don't tan. I burn. Um, I've It's come to the point where I just wear I just wear full shirts outside now because I can't like I can't can't shoot that. Do you wear it. the like the welder's mask? And I should, I should. I'm not, I'm not as frail. Like I don't turn lobster red, but yeah, definitely I burn. And like my friends did not believe me, and mm-hmm. so I was like, no, 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 I burn. And like, no, it's fine. Like we're fine. I'm like, and they came back, and we're like, oh my god. I was like, yeah, I told you. Yeah, that's my mom. My mom is like fish belly white, and so she burns. But I take after my dad, so <laughs> I brown. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I just. It was just lovely to see that on the screen and it made for a more entertaining film to me because I felt like every kid person I was looking at was just like, oh, yeah. you're you're a dad, but you also have like gray hair. It's fascinating. <laughs> I don't yeah. see that that often in a cartoon. Yeah. I love a lot it. of a lot of subtle decisions, artistic decisions they've made throughout this movie, too. I don't know if this is something that again, like, I, you know, Disney, a lot of animation is very asian i will say like Mm -hmm. a lot of the character (laughs) designers like a lot of the people working on Mm -hmm. the animators working on projects you know tend to be asian like asian crews and stuff so um i wonder if that led to a certain level of like Mm -hmm. relation even though it's not about asian culture again there's a lot that they're like commonalities about you know especially being you know your family having to leave somewhere coming the expectations of that and or or if it's like because they knew this was eventually going to go on Disney Plus and streaming channels mm-hmm. that they put a lot more detail in movies now. Disney always puts a lot of detail, but I feel like there was a lot of very subtle, like not obvious decisions they made throughout this entire movie. Like, did you guys catch Bruno dancing in the back of We Don't Talk About Bruno? Uh, no, I didn't. So now I have to go back. Yeah, he's like this little shadow just grooving in the on the balcony <laughs> when like Dolores is singing. Um, yeah, I mean, decisions were definitely made, and I think someone yeah. on that team—I don't know if it's the director, I don't know if it's like the animation director or the artistic director—someone decided that it was important to include these details. Someone aware that these details were important. Oh yeah, and I think that—I mean—that is what at least we're seeking in at least in entertainment these days is people in the position to make decisions to yeah. make those decisions. But like really right? small things that you might have no- not noticed, but like really reveal character. I think in one of the family, when they're eating together around the table, um, and Abuela's talking about how Mariano and Isabella are going to get engaged and Isabella starts sprouting mm-hmm. flowers. One of the flowers in her hair is not the right color. It's like white. Mm-hmm. And the Abuela like plucks that out mm-hmm. and like throws it away. Yeah, I did it's notice not that. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Um, or things like you know all the clothes, like the embroidery of all their powers on their clothes is really cute. And like Dolores, like claps with her fingers because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she has super hearing, and she'll plug her ears. But, like all these little cute things, and then and then you know some of the more tragic things, like um, you know just Abuela's reaction as she's telling the story about mm-hmm. you know her husband's death the first time around versus the second time around first time she's very dignified second time it's just brutal it's fucking devastating yeah. she is like she is she is like that is just like grief and mourning and I'm like damn Disney you put 
listen to a kid's movie. <laughs> Uh, I'd also say as a lover of animals, um, I really liked Antonio because as soon as like oh. they like she was talking about like, here's a little stuffed animal because I know you love animals. I was like, that's going to be his gift. And um, and so his gift off stuffed tiger. Yeah. And so him being <laughs> able to speak to animals was great. And I was like, they better have a capybara. And sure enough, they had the capybara, the oh. little jaguar. I know. Yeah. His little- or Bruno's rats. I really, I, I hope them. the merch will have like little rats. Well, I'm, I the mean, Bruno rat. if they are, n- I mean, we'll have the toucan played by Alan Tudor. Yeah, because uh, every time I saw his name, I was like, it's he better, be, I was like, he better be a sidekick oh, t- animal. Toucan, toucan, yeah, toucan. And um, but I was like, if they're not already planning a series for Antonio spinoff, I um, they better uh, just because I was like, I need to see all of these lemurs. And I think there's a taper <laughs> and then capybara. Like I've been waiting for a cartoon or something with capybaras in them because uh, they're like basically the best animal in the world. Um, I love capybaras. Yeah, I, I, I want to someday live on some sort of ranch that, that they're on because um, <laughs> they're just such gentle, giant, you know, like guinea pig hamster rodents you know, that everyone's <laughs> friends with. So uh, including cats. Uh, so yeah, I just want a capybara, but I know it, I should not have it as a pet. So it will, it will be on a rescue ranch or something like that. I should have known that Han would actually relate to Antonio the most out of every character. <laughs> I probably should have said that. <laughs> yes, I, I attract many animals to my North Hollywood home. <laughs> All right. So as we wrap up our discussion of Encanto, I got to ask, is this good pop? Yes, more of this, more, more mature, not mature, but more like nuanced storytelling, Disney, more different cultures, more musicals, bring back the musical, come on, like the good musical, sorry, I did not like Frozen, um, so, <laughs> so no, Frozen 2, Frozen 1 was fine, but Frozen 2 was weird, um, I liked but, some yes, of the weirdness, more. sorry, it was weird, <laughs> Bring it back, bring back colorful and joy and delight. And um, I mean, like, give Lin Manuel a break. Like, I think he, I feel like he deserves a a little sabbatical. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of other great composers of color you could use. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I thoroughly enjoyed this. Like, I I just put it on and was like, oh, I'll do something else during it. But then I was like, oh. I kept well, I kept looking back at the screen, so I was like, "This is actually very pleasant," and I like the little sort of mini Indiana Jones part in the middle <laughs> because you're right; everything takes place in the casita, but they figured out ways to you know give it action too. Um, so I, I think this is one I could probably tell my mom to watch. Yeah, I mean Disney usually doesn't miss, but this is definitely a home run for them um, it's just such a fun film the songs are all great and I love that it's ultimately about family and again family expectations and anxiety which is you know there's a reason why the three of us reacted so much to it because that is something that we're intimately experienced with and to see it um, through the lens of a Colombian family you know it really just I think it brings everyone a little bit closer right see <laughs> Me encanta encanto. Um, yeah, I think it was good. It was a good one. No es habla, um, Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Jess Han, if you want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes and wordle scores are on Twitter at Jess Jew Tweets. And I am at Hanonymous. 
You can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Check out our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for our discussion of Encanto. Um, it's playing now on Disney Plus. So if you have that service, you can watch the magic right now if you haven't yet. Um, let us know what you think. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. So until then. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.